Hi everyone, so great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Matthew, I oversee uh, St Augustine's. I know that because of COVID, many of us have given up on the idea of thinking in year-sized chunks, but when you do think about the year, and in particularly so in the church, the obvious high points are Easter and Christmas. And as a way of preparing us for these uh, high points, you know, just before Christmas, we have this 40-day period called Advent, and just before Easter, we have a 40-day period called Lent. And this helps uh, frame the hugely significant uh, events and gives us some focus, and it allows us also to be recaptured by their meaning. Uh, for Lent this year, we're looking at the book of Jonah, which is a parable about one of the worst prophets in the Bible. We first meet Jonah in 2 Kings 14, where he is described as the one who prophesied with favor over one of the worst kings in Israel's history, Jeroboam II. Jeroboam set up golden calf statues in the Jewish temple. He was instrumental in the civil war within Israel, oversaw terrible poverty and oppression of the poor, and even child sacrifice. So prophesying with favor is exactly not what a prophet was supposed to do in a situation like that. And in the book of Amos, by, uh, by contrast, Amos prophesied against Jeroboam. He had prophesied that the Assyrians would come and take over and exile Israel as an outcome of them walking away from God's covenant protection, uh, which they did, and it was horrific, as one of the tactics of the Assyrians was to skin alive the leaders of their captives or impale them out in the desert in front of the city. And so the first readers of this parable about the prophet Jonah, you know, they would have been rolling their eyes at the very mention of his name. And even more so at, at the mention of God asking this terrible prophet to go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, to say a five-word sermon so that the whole city and even the livestock would repent and live. You know, this is very dark Jewish humor. This is dark Jewish humor at its very best. The modern equivalent would be something like the film Jojo Rabbit, which was written by Taika Waititi and it came out in 2019. Taika's father is Maori, his mother is Jewish, and if you haven't seen the film, Jojo Rabbit is a satirical lesson that uses a key historical figure, in this case Hitler and the Nazi regime, to communicate a truth about how children learn to hate as a result of the culture that they're raised in. And this, of course, is a very dark truth, but like all great satire, the point is to get you laughing, and then once you're laughing, it punches you in the gut with the truth. And also, to quote Taika, you know, what better way to insult Hitler than having him portrayed by a Polynesian Jew? So for the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah is a story about one of the worst prophets in the Bible going to one of the worst nations in the Bible. But just watch out for the sucker punch because while we're all laughing, the question is being asked, in what ways are you? In what ways am I just like Jonah? And we're just like Jonah because often we find that instead of using our freedom to serve the purpose of our life, we often use our life to serve the purpose of freedom. And what we find at the end of that journey is that we often feel like, man, we've run away from life. We've lost our life in this process and we're not sure how we're to return. You know, freedom is a massively contested topic today. And within the current Western secular arrangement, we've really cut ourselves in a pickle over this one. You know, from the Bible's perspective, 
What Western culture has got right is that freedom is an important part of what it means to be a human being. That is 100% correct. However, you know, disconnected from the source and power of this idea, rolling out freedom gets to be a bit problematic. And we seem to have settled on a mixture of ideas, really, from the 19th century English philosophers John Locke and John Stuart Mill. That understands freedom as an individual is free to do whatever they like, but as long as they don't hurt anyone or harm anyone. In this way, freedom is conceived of as a bubble or like a zone of consent that we each have and that we are all uh, to live inside of. However, you know, this way of understanding freedom has come under pressure as we feel the loss of personal freedom by being increasingly manipulated by social media, the harvesting of our personal data, and, you know, feeding our attention, shaping our internal uh, desires on what we buy. But also, even if we can or could keep big tech you know, out of our lives or we could keep everyone else out of our zone of freedom, you know, what do we do about our internal or our emotional or our psychological life? Having an external zone of freedom doesn't help with the internal realities of being free from shame or being free from loneliness or being free from guilt or the feelings of being unsatisfied. Also, uh, lastly, you know, the climate crisis and COVID have highlighted more than ever the way we don't exist as isolated individuals within our own bubbles of freedom, as Locke suggested. But rather, humanity, as we know, is a network and we are all connected together on a multiple of different ways. You know, in one way or another, we all are breathing the same air. We're all connected together. What we discover in the Bible is that freedom is a gift that human beings are to steward, and as such, it's given with a purpose. When Jesus was asked what was the purpose of human life, he said it was two things. He said it was to become someone who is capable of love for God and love for your neighbor. In this regard, freedom is freedom from anything that stops you from becoming that kind of person. And Jonah is the complete caricature of this going wrong. And like all good satire, the purpose is to hold a mirror up to us, as we often find ourselves sliding off course like Jonah did. But also, this book shows us how we can turn that situation around. So the first thing is to note is Jonah's relationship with his neighbours, in which, in this case, are the sailors. So allow me to read to you from Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. 
because of the cultural atmosphere we live in, it's easy to find ourselves, like Jonah, making our own personal uh, peace and prosperity the horizon line of our life. When all I care about is how I'm doing, or perhaps there's enough provision for those around me, you know, we're using our freedom for its wrong purpose. But not only that, what we also see here is we become numb to the needs of those around us. And what I love about the story of Jonah is even the pagan sailors know this. And the irony is they have to go and wake him up and say, hey, dude, we've lost our livelihoods and now we're about to lose our lives and you're sleeping on the resources that can turn the situation around? How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Often when the church or when we've lost our way, it's not necessarily the case um, that it's because we've become hard-hearted or we've somehow slipped off the map of theological orthodoxy. It's just that we mostly just get distracted. We get focused on how I'm doing. Am I making the mortgage? You know, how are my kids going? Is my, how's, is my family situation secure? How's my discipleship to Jesus going? How do I feel about the worship? Are my kids loving church or kids' church? I hope the new coffee that we're brewing is going to be great. Now, I mean, all of these things are important things to be thinking about. You know, super important, in fact. But as goals, you know, seriously, this is such a shrunken and anemic vision of the amazing power and gift that is your life and the amazing power and gift that the church is to the world. And it's really a double tragedy when we start thinking like this. Firstly, because instead of becoming fully alive, we become slightly anesthetized, you know, chasing the narcotic of personal peace and prosperity. And secondly, we sleep on a mountain of spiritual resources and practical wisdom that people are literally dying to get their hands on. You know, we must remember that the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to the church and breathed into our lives individually en route to bringing new life into the world. The renewal of the city, the workplace, our education and financial institutions, the arts, music, how we look after those who need support, how we think about race and culture, how we live you know, with those who have different political views than we do, how we forgive and deal with the past grievances, and yes, our families, and yes, the church, of course, these things. But the Holy Spirit wants to transform us, yes, absolutely us, but en route to the world, the target, is out there. As the 4th century Saint Augustine of Hippo wrote, no person has a right to lead such a life of contemplation as to forget in his own ease the service due his neighbour. When we use our freedom to dam and accumulate the resources entrusted to us just to bolster our own peace and comfort, we actually turn off the renewing flow of the Holy Spirit and we lose our sense of vision and purpose and power in our lives. The way of Jesus, the way to human flourishing is the way of my life to benefit you. William Temple, the former Archbishop of Canterbury said this, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. So the purpose of the gift of human freedom is to not only love your neighbor, but it's also to become someone who has love for God. Now, I have to be absolutely honest here. Sometimes, you know, I find God quite hard to love. 
I don't know if you've found this in your own life, but I find I often have some quite big questions. Is there anyone out there who has found themselves asking, you know, God, why did my friend die of cancer? God, why did I lose my job? God, why am I struggling with mental illness? God, why has my discipleship to Jesus suddenly become more difficult and I feel like it's all beginning to unravel? And out of disappointment, I find myself wanting to jump on a boat and head to Tarshish and to try to sail away from God. Other times, like Jonah, I find myself wanting to jump on a boat and head to Tarshish and try to sail away from God just because I blatantly just don't want to do what God has called me to do. Has anyone ever done that before? You know, just in cold blood, just refused. You know, no, speak to the hand. It's not that I can't forgive this person, it's that I don't want to forgive this person. It's not that I can't let this situation go, but it's rather I'm actively nursing a grudge here. Or I'm struggling to see how the way of Jesus is actually leading uh, to life here. And what I've found is that what initially feels like sailing into freedom and leaving behind disappointment and leaving behind these unanswered questions or the demands of a way of life that doesn't mesh with my current preferences, I, what I've found is that is actually a sailing into commitments to a certain pursuit that eventually conscripts me and corners my life. And you see this uh, movement in the way that Jonah's life gets smaller and smaller and smaller and more and more curved on itself. As he goes down to Joppa, as he goes down into the ship, goes down into the ocean, down into Sheol, down into the stomach of the sea monster, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath me barred me in forever. Writing on freedom, theologian James K.A. Smith says, when we imagine freedom only as negative freedom, freedom from constraints, hands off liberty to choose what I want, then our so-called freedom is actually inclined to captivity. When freedom is merely volunteerness, without further orientation to goals, then my choice is just another means by which I'm trying to look for satisfaction. And so far as I keep choosing to try to find that satisfaction in finite created things, whether it be sex or adoration or beauty or power, I'm going to be caught in a cycle where I'm more and more disappointed in those things and more and more dependent on those things. I keep choosing things with diminishing returns and when that becomes habitual and eventually necessary, then I forfeit my ability to choose. The thing has me now. I don't know where you're at today, whether you find yourself going, uh, you're in a great season, you're jogging with Jesus, uh, things are going really well for you, or whether you feel like your faith is just being held together by a thread. You've got more questions than answers and you feel like your faith is sinking. You know, I don't know where you're at today, but I do know where God is. Look at Jonah's words. In my distress, Jonah says, I called to the Lord and he answered me. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. As Jonah's freedom had anaesthetized him from the needs of others and had curled Jonah in on himself into the damp confines of the belly of death, the narcotic hit eventually began to wear off 
and suddenly he comes to his senses and just enough to realize the state that he's in. That in his attempt to try to escape from the life of God, he had himself become lifeless. And then two things happened. Firstly, he remembers. Remembering allows him to become aware of God's presence and um, the presence of God and that God has always been with him and that God has always been pursuing him out of kindness and mercy. You know, while God is present in all places and in all times, you know, God doesn't invade the interiority of our lives. And while turning our minds towards God might not answer all the questions of life's challenges, allowing ourselves to become aware of God's presence and open to God's grace does give us a solid center from which we can face these challenges and questions squarely and unapologetically. So firstly, Jonah remembers. And secondly, Jonah acknowledges. Jonah acknowledges that salvation, that is life, comes from the Lord. Like many of us conditioned by the myth of autonomy, you know, only imagining freedom in negative terms, freedom from, or freedom as permission, after getting to the end of that rope, Jonah discovers freedom as power, a power to become a certain kind of person by following a certain way of life, a way of life that comes from the Lord. This is freedom for, this is freedom with a purpose, the purpose of becoming a kind of person who has the capacity of loving, loving your neighbor and has the capacity for loving God. In our late modern secular understanding of freedom, committing yourself to a certain way of life sounds like being in an iron cage. But understanding freedom as power and committing yourself to the way of Jesus, actually far from being an iron cage, it's an actual, the way of Jesus becomes a scaffold on which your life can grow and flourish. Seeing freedom this way, James uh, K.A. Smith says, such freedom doesn't expand with the, demolish, with the demolishing of boundaries or the evisceration of constraints. Rather, it flourishes. Not as a ho-hum life of rule following, it's an invitation to a life that's a, that is secure enough to risk, centered enough to be courageous, like the rails of a roller coaster that lets you do loop after loop. It's the grace that guards your being, the gift that gives you yourself again. True human freedom, it's not about leaving, it's actually about being found. And the irony or the mystery of the Jesus way is trusting Jesus' words when he says, when you live beyond the boundary of your own concerns and you live with courage and vision for God's purposes in the world, you find both God and yourself. You know, once you've allowed God to find you and you're operating out of your identity as a son or daughter of God, completely secure in the unconditional, unconditional love of the God who is for you and not against you, then you are free to risk every ounce of your life radically for the calling and purpose of God. In a moment, the team is going to lead us in a song and Chloe is going to lead us in a final prayer. Guys, have a great rest of your week. Ka kite no.